wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. We are back, folks, right here in WrestleRant Radio for September 15, 2016. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I feel like I say this almost every single week, but what a week it has been in the world of wrestling and beyond. We had UFC 203 on Saturday. We had Backlash Sunday, Raw Monday, SmackDown Live Tuesday, NXT yesterday, and the absolutely amazing Cruiserweight Classic finale just last night, in which I will go on record in saying the best WWE-produced event of 2016. And I know we've had some great takeover specials, some really good WWE pay-per-views, some great live specials, such as Roadblock and whatnot. But really, I think last night's Cruiserweight Classic finale takes the cake. So I am very excited to talk about that. We will end the show with my thoughts on the Cruiserweight Classic finale from last night. But today we're talking, like I said, some news and notes on Alberto Rio. Page and an update from last week, a complete 180 from what I thought was happening. Uh, UFC 203 coming up momentarily, as well as Raw, SmackDown, NXT, uh, all those reviews coming up on today's edition of WrestleRant Radio. But before we get started here, as always, the mandatory plugs. You guys can find me on the Twitter machine. That is the, probably the easiest way to reach me. Uh, at WrestleRant, I'm tweeting during almost all the live shows, with the exception going forward of Raw and SmackDown just for the next few months, probably. I start my internship next Monday, and I'll be there through Raw and SmackDown on Monday and Tuesday nights. I'll probably be around for, I watch Lucha Live, I watch Lucha Underground, that is. I watch Lucha Underground Live, NXT, uh, more often than not, TNA Impact Wrestling as well on Thursday nights, uh, which has also been doing really, really well. Deleted or Decay last week, which I thought was good. Um, I probably won't have enough time to talk about it here on the show, and it's kind of dated. It was a week ago at this point. But I did talk all about it on Hashtag AskGSM on Monday. And speaking of which, you can check out new episodes of Hashtag AskGSM, WrestleRant, WWE Network and Chill, the random Friday video blogs, all on my YouTube channel. Just subscribe to youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham Matthews. And find me on Facebook as well. I am very active on Facebook pretty much every single day at facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews. So anyway, guys, as always, let's kick off today's show by talking about, um, before we get even to UFC, just wanted to get an update from last week when I talked all about the release of Alberto Del Rio from WWE. Uh, it was pretty much all but confirmed at that point. I put up a clip of the show um, last Friday, usually. I mean, the clip should be up today on... Thursday, hopefully. I'm not going anywhere today or tomorrow, it looks like, other than class, obviously. But um, still, I thought, you know, Del Rio was as good as gone from WWE. It was really only a matter of time before they officially announced his release. I said to a bunch of people, don't assume that he's gone until they put out an official statement. And they did on Friday morning, literally less than 24 hours after I filmed the show, after I recorded the show. They put out the statement on WWE.com. First thing Friday morning, Alberto Del Rio has been released from WWE. And he had a press conference, a pretty unspectacular news press conference. Um, I didn't watch it. I just read the highlights. And it didn't really sound like he said much of note, other than what we already really knew, that he's going back to Mexico probably to work for AAA. I read that earlier this week. 
Um, he left WWE on good terms, which was surprising, but I guess they kind of had to leave on good terms just because they had to grant his release, apparently. So, anyway, I don't expect Del Rio to be back. I mean, I talked about it before. I've talked about it in various articles. I'm beating a dead horse at this point, but why bring the guy back when when he left the first time four year, or two years ago at this point uh, in, in the summer of 2014? He already accomplished it all. He was a four-time world champion. Um, you know, he had pretty much done it all. He won Money in the Bank, won the Royal Rumble, had, plays, had played both a face and a heel. And when he came back, other than his clean win over John Cena, which really could have cemented him as a top heel, face, whatever they wanted to make him, on the roster, they really dropped the ball. So anyway, I talked all about that before. I don't want to beat a dead horse with that topic. Uh, Paige, though, I did put out a clip on the channel, so I don't want to... And also, too, I put out an article today. I've been writing articles all week, even more so than usual, just because I have no class this week. I don't start internship until next week, so I've had more time to write. Um, I put three new articles out today for What Culture, Hidden Remote, Sports Key, a new article for Bleach Report coming tomorrow. So a lot of new cool stuff. Check out all the articles. Uh, all the updates are right here on the website, nextairwrestling.net on the homepage. But yeah, so I wrote an article Tuesday night. It got published today. After the report came out yesterday, so it's a bit dated, and by that point, it was too late to edit it, so I said, fuck it. Um, but Paige is not quitting WWE. It was reported that she would be back on the road with WWE starting Monday, that she would return on Raw, but it sounds like that's not the current plan. Uh, I think they might have been mistaken that she will just be back on the road with WWE starting next week. She'll be on their tours and whatever going forward. I don't know if she's being advertised or what, but um, she will be back on the road with the company starting Monday, so... That report came out, I think, per WW or per PW Insider, and then Paige herself came out on Twitter after not tweeting for several weeks. Came out on Twitter just yesterday on Wednesday, putting out a statement that said, "I am not quoting WWE. Those rumors are completely false. Um, thank you all for the support. Blah blah blah. I'm still resting my back injury, and I plan on a healthy return." So, and her, she was talking about her suspension and how that came about, and how. I believe that she just was, she had to drive 200 miles just to test for the thing, but by that point it was too late, so I'm not exactly sure what went down. Uh, that's really kind of neither here nor there, but what is important to hear is that she is not quitting the company after all, which again is a complete 180 from what we heard just a week ago, what I talked about at the end of the show here last week, so I figured I would kick off the show that bit of news uh, that Paige is not quitting after all, which is good. I still believe, and I wrote a whole article about this, as I mentioned, for Hidden Remote just today. I mean, it's out today. I wrote it on Tuesday night, but it just got published today. A little bit later than I intended, just because I had no idea this news was going to break, that she peaked way too early in WWE. I mean, I talked about it last week, I think, in that whole clip, but she came in, she wins the Divas Championship on her first night on Raw. And that's really sacrificing six, month, uh, six months of build, six months of character development. Because if you can recall, when she first arrived in the main roster... I mean, people were excited that we had a fresh face, but the casual fan really had no incentive to care about her, um, just because by that point, NXT was just starting, uh, not really, I mean, just starting on the network, rather, it had been around for a couple of years by that point, but NXT had just debuted on the WWE Network, so people were really just barely getting familiar with Paige before she came up um, the night after WrestleMania, so hopefully when she comes back, which looks like it could be soon, hopefully, once she heals her back injury... They use it right. I mean, I'm a big fan of Paige. I got to meet her a couple months ago at a, at, a, at a convention or some signing or something in Connecticut, which was cool. Thanks. to Shout out to Shell for pointing it out to me, and I got to meet him there too. That was back in June. But uh, I'm a big fan of Paige. I hope she does well. I've, I, you know, I've seen people make jokes that she'll be back as a jobber for Nia Jax starting Monday's Raw, and I hope not. You know, that's, that's a good role for Alicia Fox. 
Not so much for Paige, who I think has a lot of potential um, even now. I think she could still be something in WWE with the right push. So again, I look forward to her return at some point in the near future. Also, like as I mentioned, UFC 203 on Saturday. I did not watch the whole show. I never really planned on it. I probably would have if I went to Buffalo Wild Wings to watch the show. I couldn't. I, we went to Buffalo Wild Wings earlier on in the show, me and my roommate, and uh, who has been on the show here before in years past. But we went to Buffalo Wild Wings on Saturday afternoon. I mean, I called earlier in the day to ask them if they were showing the UFC fight. And they said they were only showing the prelims and not the pay-per-view itself, which I thought was a bit odd. Because I know they do the whole fight night things. I was at a Buffalo Wild Wings in Connecticut a mere fucking two months ago with John. We couldn't get in just because it was packed by that point, which is why I was going to plan on arriving earlier to UFC 203 at this Buffalo Wild Wings here in Massachusetts. Uh, but anyway, though, so I guess they weren't showing it. We went there anyway. I got some great food, so I watched it when I got back. The fight before Punk's, I watched a little bit of, and then I watched Punk's fight. Uh, obviously a complete squash. Really, not much different between Braun Strowman and a, and a jobber match on Raw, uh, you know, from any ordinary week of money in that Raw. And it's a shame. I mean, it didn't really look like, and I talked about this before when I made my prediction last week, that he didn't look all that confident going into the fight in the evolution of Punk videos. He wasn't really, you know, he he has not tweeted, I believe, since at least a week or so, like well over before his fight started. He tweeted nothing, he tweeted nothing the day of the fight, after the fight, because he probably knew he was going to get wrecked. Maybe not as badly as he did. And I'm a big Punk fan. I'm not one of those people that will say, oh, I can't wait to see him get his ass beat, all that other shit. Um... But, I mean, I was happy to see him in there, happy to see him having fun, happy to see him happy, which he definitely was. He said that was the greatest night of his life next to mirroring his wife, AJ Lee. Smart thing to say, by the way. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was really a shame. I mean, if anything, I think it was worth it just to hear a cult of personality again on a major sports show, wrestling, whatever. You know what I mean? We have not heard cult of personality in almost three years at this point, uh, two years and nine months, eight months, whatever, since the 2014 Royal Rumble match, or at least, you know, on a major pay-per-view like this, so uh, it was crazy, great to see him back on pay-per-view in the same exact arena where he walked out on WWE, walked out on Vince McMahon back in January of 2014, so some poetic justice, I guess, irony, the fact that he lost, I, I don't really know what you would call it, but that was an interesting tidbit of trivia. So, anyway, yeah, I thought the squash was, uh, you know, good for Punk. I mean, you got to show him out of respect. you got to give him out of respect for getting in the cage, period. He probably knew he was going to get wrecked, but you know what? He tried. Um, he's been really building it up for the past two years. He's been training for the past two years. He got injured at one point. The guy's 37 years old. His body is beat up from wrestling. So I give him mad props for even getting in the cage, and I look forward to seeing what's next for CM Punk in the future. I think he, there was a very realistic chance he could get cut from the UFC, um, I mean, at this point, I'm not even going to say I hope not, just because after such a poor showing, how can they really justify keeping him around? At that point, it's special treatment. I mean, people will tell you that him getting the UFC up to, I will I will tell you flat out, him getting in the UFC up to this point was special treatment without any prior background, without fighting on the, you know, independence, whatever, on the smaller circuits before coming here. That was special treatment because they knew, you know, to UFC's credit, they knew that he was going to pop a big buy rate. And uh, what that buy rate was, I don't know yet. We won't know probably for a while. Um, I, I'm very interested to see how his, how the numbers were for that show. Because otherwise, according to RJ, who is my MMA analyst, my MMA expert that I consult with, uh, Mr. Marceau, a former friend of the show, of course, still friend of the show, uh, he said that the show itself was not really all that exciting on paper, and really the only thing that stood out, uh, that stood out about the show, before it aired anyway, 
was Punk's fight. That was really the only thing that people were talking about going into the show. UFC 202 had Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor. UFC 200 had uh, Tate, and I forgot the other woman's name, but Brock Lesnar's return fight as well. So they've had a lot of big fights, a lot of big pay-per-views in recent months. I don't think UFC 203 was among them. Um, Punk got top billing. He was really one of the co-main events on this show, and a lot of, uh, a huge reason why a lot of people... You know, casual fans such as myself tuned in, so it was disappointing. But like I said, I don't know if they can really justify keeping him around at this point, and it'd probably be for the better. It sounds like, from what he said, that he plans on continuing to fight and get better and whatever. Maybe until he, he'll, he'll stop once he gets better or once he wins. I'm not exactly sure what the end goal here is, but uh, he got very emotional in the post-fight conference uh, after UFC 203 went off the air, maybe during, I don't really remember, but I just, I saw the clips on Twitter and on UFC's website and whatever, and he got very emotional talking about it, so again, I would be surprised if he stopped fighting altogether just because it seems like he's, you know, hell-bent on, on trying this and being successful at it, but again, you really got to give him respect for at least trying and going out there and doing something that a lot of people wouldn't even venture to do, so mad respect to CM Punk, and as I mentioned, very excited to see what is next for him in his future. So we go from there to Backlash on Sunday night, which I thought overall was a really good show. And going into what I was saying, you know, I was looking forward to Backlash. And then I saw a lot of people say, even Dave Meltzer on a show on the Wrestling Observer uh, Radio just recently saying that this was one of the first shows in a long time that he was really not that looking forward to when he wasn't watching it live or whatever. And I was like, Ugh. you know, for him to say that, that, that means a lot, which means he doesn't really care about the show. And I saw a lot of people saying it just wasn't him. It wasn't, it's not like he's the number one cynic or anything. There's a lot of people that were saying that going into the event on Sunday that they weren't looking forward to backlash. It was a shit show, especially after the news came out that Orton was still injured and the match was called off, which was fucking ridiculous, by the way. I'll talk about that momentarily. But I was looking forward to the show, and I thought it lived up to the hype. I thought it was a really good pay-per-view and a strong first showing for SmackDown Live in their premier pay-per-view of the brand split. So anyway, we start off with a kickoff show, Baron Corbin versus Apollo Crews. Why the match wasn't advertised in advance, I have no idea. They weren't doing anything with these guys anyway. It's sad, really, to see them on the kickoff show just because these both of these guys arrived on the main roster the same night. Corbin technically 24 hours early at WrestleMania 31 or 32, whatever. But um, they both arrived on Raw the same night, the night after WrestleMania this year, so now they're both on the kickoff show for a SmackDown show. You would think that by this point, they'd both be world champions or something, but not yet anyway, uh, at least not yet for Corbin. I feel like they have more faith in Corbin, more, they see more in Corbin, which to me is, bu- I like Corbin, but I think that's bullshit just because I, I see Star written all over Apollo Crews and with the right character development and all the right skills, he has all the skills, it's just a matter of making people care about him. You know, they really have yet to do that. So anyway, um, the match was good. It kind of started out a bit slow, a bit sloppy at points, but still ended up being a good match. Corbin wins, clean. So what that means for Apollo Crews, I really have no idea. We kick off the show with an elimination six-woman tag team match. Or sorry, not tag team. Fucking six-back challenge, excuse me. Uh, Becky Lynch defeating Carmella, Natalia, Nikki Bella, Naomi, and Alexa Bliss uh, to win or become the inaugural SmackDown Women's Champion. And a really good match. I thought there were certain points early on. And you know what? When you put six women in a match, you know, whether it be a tag team match or specifically something like this, it is bound to be a train wreck. When you put any amount of people, whether it be men, it's not a woman thing. It could be a men thing too. When you put six guys in a fucking six-pack challenge, it could be very well a fucking train wreck. But it wasn't. I mean, there were certain points where they kind of like took turns doing their finishers and shit, which... I don't like when it's kind of stretched out that way. When it's the entire match, it kind of gets ridiculous. Like, why isn't everyone up at the same time? 
Um, they did that at one point. Other than that, though, I thought the match was really, really good. The eliminations were not rushed. And one of the benefits of this being a six-match show, not seven, I'm not including Wyatt and Orton here, which I know ended via forfeit, whatever. Yeah, a six-match show, really. Um, I was glad they gave him time, and that was really the one thing I was looking forward to here, was that if they didn't add any more matches to the card, like Corbin and Cruz or Corbin and Kane or whatever, um, I was hoping that they would give these girls some time. They definitely did. They gave them a whole bunch. What the exact time was, maybe closer to 20 minutes, I don't remember exactly. But they didn't rush the eliminations, which I was really happy about and turned out to be a really, really good match. So the first one gone was Alexa Bliss, who went on to become the number one contender to the title on Tuesday, Have you know, as that happened, which I'll talk about momentarily in my SmackDown review. Then Naomi, then Natalya, uh, Carmella eliminating Nikki Bella, which was really surprising. And uh, I got to give Nikki Bella props. I've never been her biggest fan in the past. I've always said I respected her. She's gotten better as a heel. She's always been better as a heel. Um, but I'm fine with her as a face just because she finally feels fresher than she did uh, you know, fresher than she did when she, before she left about over a year ago. So I'm glad she's putting over the new faces, whether it be Alexa Bliss, Carmella, whatever. Uh, good for her. So it came down to Becky and Carmella. I feel like people didn't really think that Carmella was going to win, but still, the final few minutes were good. Becky forces her to tap out and becomes the inaugural SmackDown Women's Champion. So uh, she was my pick. She, I got pretty much every, even including Wyatt and Orton, if you want to count that. I mean, I know I didn't count it before, but... Um, I said that for that match specifically that Wyatt would be Orton, and technically he did via forfeit. The only match I was wrong on, and I was very happy I was wrong about, was the main event. So uh, anyway, um, I was happy to see her win. This has been a long time coming. Becky Lynch is the perfect woman to build that division around. She is just so fucking good. She's been so good since day one. And I wrote a whole article about it about a year ago, about how they called her up too soon. And could could that still be the case? Yeah, sure. I mean, I feel like... Nothing would have really changed. You know, if they brought her up night after WrestleMania this year or you know, a little bit later on in 2015, she still could have become the inaugural SmackDown Women's Champion. But when she initially arrived on the main roster, it wasn't like she wasn't good. She was great. Remember that amazing match she had with Sasha Banks to take over last May and May of 2015, a year and a half ago at this point? That was really fucking good. But when she came out of the main roster, they brought her, they brought Charlotte and Sasha all in at the same time. And as a result, she got overshadowed, and she was really kind of like the uh, the third wheel, so to speak, I guess would be the perfect analogy here, in the Team PCB, and the Divas Revolution, whatever, and she really didn't start to get over until like the onset of 2016, when she started chasing the Divas Championship, Women's Championship, whatever, and she came so close on so many different occasions to winning the title, and always came up short. Uh, so still, I thought it was, you know, she, she's had a great... Build. I don't think this was ever really the plan. Like at the start of the year, when they had her lose that match, oh, we're going to build to a major moment with Becky Lynch. I feel like it just kind of happened that way. And she is so far, along with AJ Styles, been the biggest beneficiary of this brand split. I could not be happier for her because, like I said, she's that fucking good. She can carry the division. She is just the perfect representation of what they need on SmackDown. And I talked about this with RJ multiple times, but just recently, yesterday via text. That I love how SmackDown really, they're, all their women are on the same level. It's not like the champion's up here and all the challengers are down there. Or Alexa Bliss isn't on TV at all. I mean, even Marie isn't, but that's just because that she was suspended. And even before she got suspended, she was probably the focal point of the division, you know, uh, believe it or not. But anyway, I love how they really treat their women equally. It's not like, oh, they're all the same, they all blend in, and none of them are really more special than the other. 
That's not the case at all. Um, each of them have their own personality. You have Becky as the champion. Her personality speaks for itself. Carmella finally went heel, which was the best thing for her. Nikki Bella is established. She's a babyface now. She's not hogging the spotlight. She's putting people over. Great for her. Natalia is so much better as a heel than she ever was as a babyface. Naomi is finally... She was a good heel, but I feel like the whole over-the-top, you know, glow-in-the-dark entrance is so her. It's so Naomi. And I think it's great. And she's... More relevant now than she ever was when she was a heel for the past year and a fucking half. And Alexa Bliss is kind of... I'm not really a huge fan of the whole Harley Quinn thing capitalizing off the Suicide Squad popularity. I could see why they're doing it, but just let Alexa be Alexa. I mean, she looks hot either way, but I mean, she was great in NXT. She's still great now, but I feel like you don't really need to make her the... Flat-out call her the Harley Quinn of the WWE, because that's just not her. Like, when I think Harley Quinn... Maybe it's just me, I think of AJ Lee, like the way that she kind of was and her personality, how crazy she was, the colors that she would wear. She, to me, was the Harley Quinn of the WWE, um, during for her time period anyway. Alexa Bliss, not so much, but still, she makes it look good, so I can't complain. But anyway, really good match to kick off, <clears throat> to kick off the show. Becky Lynch was the absolute right person to, uh, to win this matchup and become the inaugural SmackDown Women's Champion. And also check out our interview, too, with Michael Cole on WWE.com, YouTube, whatever. Uh, really good stuff. About a four, three-and-a-half-minute interview from uh, Wednesday. Really good stuff. Her talking about winning the title, her next challenger, and so on and so forth. Two thumbs up. After that, we had a semifinal match in the SmackDown Tag Team Championship Tournament. The Usos taking in the Hype Bros. Pretty decent match. Nothing too much of note. The Usos winning. I like their new gear. Um, they switched up the colors a bit. They wore black on Sunday and wore white on Tuesday. But I like the pants. They're not wearing shirts anymore. You would think it'd be the other way around. Um, but they're not wearing their, like, play hard in the paint shirts or whatever. Uh, no more face paint. Just the flat-out Usos. The same Usos that we were kind of, you know, kind of the Usos of old, which weren't the best Usos. But now they're more over just because they're established now. But when they first arrived on the main roster, they never had face paint. They didn't have the colorful shit and whatever, and they were good baby faces, but at some point, you gotta switch it up, so I'm, I'm very happy they did. Uh, so regardless, the match was good. Glad the Usos won. They were the right winners, just going on to face Heath Slater and Rhino for the tag team titles later on in the show. And also, too, I gotta say this. The Usos gotta change their theme song. They have to change their theme song. Uh, I mean, it's a good theme, but it's not fitting for two heels. I mean, they've also had it for like five fucking years at this point. They really got to change that up. But beyond that, I like the whole rejuvenation of the Usos on SmackDown. Uh, for the Intercontinental Championship, we had The Miz defending the gold against Dolph Ziggler in a really good match. What did I tell you? These two always have good matches with each other. This was no exception. Uh, in the end, The Miz ret retaining via help from Maurice. I think she sprayed something in Dolph Ziggler's face. It was never explained what it was. Um, but the match was good. Glad Miz, re Glad Miz retained as he should have. Just because, I mean, again, I feel like a lot like with the whole Del Rio thing, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but Dolph Ziggler is just that. He, he's dead. He's not dead in the, in the flesh, but I mean, dead as a character. In that just, I just can't bring myself to care about this guy at this point. It's just, he, he's a really good wrestler. They had their chance going into SummerSlam, going into the WWE World Championship match with Dean Ambrose. But they fucked that up. The match really, not that it wasn't good. It was just very disappointing. Uh, very underwhelming. Didn't turn him heel. And that's, that's really the only thing I got left to say about him at this point. The Usos are the same exact way. They got, they had to turn him heel. They got to turn Dolph Ziggler heel. 
He's so much better as a heel. And I've said before, don't turn him heel just because he has a crowd support. He's way more over as a babyface than he ever was as a heel. And that was the case at one point, but it's getting to the point where people are verbally, audibly booing Dolph Ziggler at these shows because they're sick of the same old shit, the same old show-off shit, and him being cocky and full of himself. That's such a heel thing to do. And I I realize that's Dolph Ziggler just probably who he is in real life, but then just make him a heel. You know, he's a, at this point, he's so stagnant and stale as a babyface. They got to turn him. So I don't know where this Miz and Ziggler stuff is going. They furthered the feud on SmackDown on Tuesday. So I don't know where they're going with this. Um, but hopefully, you know, they, they wrap it up soon. Their matches are always good. Miz retained. Just leave it at that. I really would not give two shits if they put the belt on Ziggler at no mercy or even beyond that because... What, are we going to see Baron Corbin and Dolph Ziggler again? Baron Cor- or uh, Dolph Ziggler and fucking Bray Wyatt? Like, I don't I don't care about Dolph Ziggler as champion. Maybe two years ago, but he needs a massive character overhaul. His promos are always good. That's the issue. He, he's still a great worker. It's not like his in-ring work has digressed, or his mic work for that matter. It's just, I, as, as a character, I just don't care. So hopefully this feud wraps up soon and we get fresh challengers for Miz. Who that would be, I have no idea, which is exactly why I've been saying for the past fucking month at this point, keep the belt on Miz until he breaks the honky-tonk man's record of 454 days, I think it is, which will wrap up in July of 2017, July 3rd, or yeah, July 3rd to be exact, when he would break the record. Moving from there, we had Bray Wyatt versus Orton, or we almost did, um, before it was revealed earlier on in the day, and they solidified it on the show itself, that Orton was still injured. So this is what makes no sense to me. This really had me scratching my head like, this is just so typical of this company. So Orton apparently is still injured from SummerSlam, legitimately still injured from SummerSlam, not fucking storyline. Obviously, he was really busted open at the hands of Lesnar at, at, at SummerSlam, And I didn't notice it until this report came out early Sunday, hours before the pay-per-view, that Orton has not wrestled at all since that show. I completely forgot about I completely forgot about the fact that he hasn't wrestled since then. He hasn't wrestled on house shows, SmackDown TV, whatever. Orton has not been in action since SummerSlam. So it checks out. The story checks out. Yet you have him come down in so I'll get to that in a second, I guess, but uh, the whole fucking Wyatt and Kane fiasco. So the question on my mind, and everyone else's mind at this point, is that why the fuck would you advertise a match that you think might be in jeopardy? In a major match of this, it's not like you're doing Baron Corbin and Apollo Crews, and Corbin's still injured. If it doesn't happen, who the hell cares? This was a major match. The pretty much the, the semi-main, I know the tag team title match went on after this, but it was really the second biggest match on the show. Fresh feud, match could have been good. The feud's been all right so far. So they, they, they shit the bed. Why? Why the fuck would you advertise that? Why not just build towards it? If you didn't think that Orton, whether if, if they had no idea, if, if they were told that Orton would be cleared in a matter of a week or two, then I could see why they would advertise the match. But beyond that, if they had zero clue when he would be cleared to compete by by officials, by doctors, whatever then why would you advertise a match for involving a guy that you have no idea when is going to be back in the ring? It could be a week. It could be a month. It could be several months. And you never know with Orton. This guy, you know, was taken out the trash. Literally, literally this is a, a true story. Guy was taken out the trash one day, popped his shoulder or something happened with his shoulder, out for fucking nine months. So again, anything can happen to Randy Orton. He is very injury prone. That much is obvious. 
I know this was a, a concussion issue and not a, a shoulder issue. So that part one of that did not make any sense at all. So then logically we had Kane versus Bray Wyatt, which hmm, just made me no, just made me go to sleep. I don't just don't care. I honestly did not pay attention for most of the match. And what I did, it was not good. They gave it a no-holds-barred stipulation. For what reason? Again, I have no idea. There were a lot of things about this whole fiasco, this feud that made no sense. So they give the match a no-holds-barred stipulation, maybe thinking that the match would be better as a result. I don't really know. But it really wasn't. Uh, it was just kind of there. So Wyatt's about to win. Out comes Randy Orton. They hit an RKO out of nowhere and Bray Wyatt. Kane capitalizes and scores the victory. Yes, Kane beating Bray Wyatt in 2016. What the fuck? Really? I mean, I realized that Orton was not able to compete, and it's like a house show thing, and it's, it's not like it was the main event, but you wanted to make up for that fact by having the babyface go over. No, save that shit for the house shows. Wyatt really should have won here. The guy is so dead. Can you really, that, I, this is a serious question, can you really do more damage to Bray Wyatt than what has already been done? Honest question. I feel like, and I've said it time and time and time and time again, that this guy is just... He wins some, he loses some, and I feel like he loses a lot more than he wins. And when he wins, it means nothing. He beat New Day at Battleground for what? For what? A tag team title match? No. For the feud to continue? No. It was dropped. It was dropped as soon as it started. So what the hell was the point of that? Oh, man, before that, what was the last real match that, that Wyatt Family won? TLC? A year ago? Nine months ago? And they beat the fucking ECW Originals? I would be shocked if they lost to them just because... Actually, not really, just because Kane beat Bray Wyatt, I guess, and they're at, he's an Attitude Era star, too. But that went nowhere. They were building up the Wyatt family for a feud with Brock Lesnar. That went nowhere. Before that, they beat Roman Reigns, Chris Jericho, and Dean Ambrose in Night of Champions. Yet, Bray Wyatt would lose the feud anyway at Hell in a Cell. So, we're going to ask you, what the fuck was the point of all this shit? Uh, really, this was just a complete waste. I enjoyed the show on the whole... But this was just a glaring weakness on this entire thing. It really made no sense. The match wasn't good. And then to top it all off of things that were completely illogical involving this angle, if Orton is apparently concussed, and Orton has denied these reports on Twitter, so I have no idea what the deal is there. So if he's concussed, or if he's still injured, or not cleared, or whatever the hell the deal might be, why? Why would you have him hit an RKO? In this match, he wrestled the next night in uh, on a SmackDown house show, which did awful attendance, by the way, which is not surprising when you run a show opposite of an NFL game, also in the area, and Raw that same night. So what do they expect? Anyway, though, they probably should check up. Don't they have people to check that kind of stuff out, like to find out if they have other like games or shows happening at the same time that WWE has their shows? I feel like there's a person that should have that job. And if there is a person who has that job, they're not doing a very good job. Anyway... This, this whole thing made no sense. Why Orton would hit the RKO if he's still apparently concussed, I don't know. Orton says he's not. He wasn't really specific. He just kind of alluded to it in a, in a Twitter Q&A a few days ago. So I'm really confused. It's getting to the point where I might not even care about this feud anymore. And I hate to say that just because I've been looking forward to this feud for close to two to three years at this point. And really, at now, it's just... Oh, man. Like, what? what's the point? Like... I mean, they had Eric Rowan randomly reunite with Bray Wyatt on SmackDown on Tuesday. For what reason? I'm still trying to figure that the fuck out. Uh, They just, I I don't know. I really don't know anymore with Bray Wyatt. And I can't bring myself to care anymore either. 
So after that, we had the finals of the SmackDown Tag Team title tournament. Heath Slater and Rhino beating the Usos to become the first ever SmackDown Tag Team Champions. The match was just kind of there. Good match. Uh, the right winners. I'm glad. I mean, I wouldn't have been pissed if the Usos won just because it would have set up their tag team title program with uh, American Elf. And when they come back in a few weeks from their storyline injury, not legit injury like Uso, like uh, fucking Orton, sorry. But, um, yeah, so I thought the match was, was good. Right winners. Heath Slater and Rhino have managed to get themselves over. I really hope this is not leading to a split between the two. I was kind of worried that it would in the beginning, that Rhino would team with Heath Slater just to turn on him. And I hope that's not the end game in all of this, just because I like them as a tag team. They literally just started teaming three, four weeks ago. So why they would cut that short, I have no idea. That would be just a total and complete waste. Um, but they were the right winners. They had Heath Slater sign his contract, official SmackDown Live contract on Tuesday, which was cool, before being immediately challenged for a tag team title match against, of all people, the Ascension, which blew my mind. I almost crapped my pants thinking about the Ascension taking the titles from Heath Slater and Rhino, one of the most overacts in the entire company, losing the titles to one of the most dead acts in the entire company in the Ascension. And not that there were rumors that they would take the titles off of Heath Slater at some point, like two days after he won it, but there was a lot of fan speculation. I saw a lot of people say they're going to take the titles off Heath Slater starting on SmackDown, maybe drop them right back to the Usos. So I got worried, and it looks like WWE capitalized off that fear and put the belts on the line in this match, and I feel like it was it was a lot better of a match as a result. I'm kind of skipping ahead here to SmackDown on Tuesday. I'll probably mix and, mix and match my reviews on SmackDown and, uh, and, and Backlash just because we don't have so much time today. We only have so much time, but anyway, so I thought that was good. They were the right people, and thank God the Ascension did not win the belts on Tuesday. That would have been god-awful, um, but they are the right people to, I, I said that weeks ago right here on the show, two, three weeks ago, that Heath Slater and Rhino were the right people to take the tag team titles, uh, become the first ever SmackDown tag team champs, so I like that move, and then we get to the main event, by far the match of the night, AJ Styles beating Dean Ambrose to win, and get this, I never thought I would say this statement, this sentence, AJ Styles beating Dean Ambrose to win the WWE World Championship. Unbelievable. First of all, the match was great. Excellent match. I know I've said before, and I'm a big Dean Ambrose fan, I know I've said before that he's had a slew of disappointing matches. I put out a whole list a couple days ago on, on, on what culture of disappointing matches that he's had, major matches that he's had over the years, including with Brock Lesnar, Jericho, Dolph Ziggler, you know, just to name a few from this year alone. Uh, this was anything but. This was a really, really good match, and AJ did not carry Dean Ambrose. Ambrose, he, he's just got to have that right type of chemistry with whoever his opponent is. I don't know why it didn't work with Dolph Ziggler or Brock Lesnar or whatever the reason might be. It's all you know, to pure speculation, really, but I thought him and AJ just clicked. They absolutely clicked and had a really, really good match. Great time, right winner. Um, he didn't win clean, so it did set up a finish between AJ and Dean, which it won't be one-on-one, and I'll talk about that in a second, too. Again, I might as well just incorporate my SmackDown review into my Backlash review here, just so we can, you know, uh, knock out, you know, one, two birds with one stone, or the hell the phrase is. Uh, so anyway, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was a really, really good match. AJ was obviously the right winner. I've been saying it for weeks now. This guy is the hottest thing going in WWE at the moment. They had to put the championship on him. It was really only a matter of time, but I preferred sooner rather than later just because he's hot right now. And he probably will still be, you know, on fire two, three weeks, a month from now at No Mercy. But they really needed to strike while the iron was hot. And they did definitely do that on uh, on Sunday at Backlash by putting the title on him. So, again, 
Something I thought I would never say, as uh, AJ Styles being the new WWE World Champion, it could not be any more well-deserved. This guy has busted his ass over the past 15, 20 years, however long it's been, 15 years, closer to 15 years, on the Indies, WCW, TNA, New Japan, Ring of Honor, so on and so forth. Uh, One of the best wrestlers in the entire world. And other than Samoa Joe, I don't think anyone has ever won um, uh, titles in WWE, TNA, and Ring of Honor. And besides Joe, who won the NXT championship, so we'll say the main roster. AJ becomes the first ever person to win the uh, to win the WWE, TNA, and Ring of Honor championships. Not the world titles. He was never Ring of Honor world champion. Unfortunately, he should have been, but he wasn't. Uh, so anyway, just a really, really good match. Great stuff, and I'm glad that AJ is the new world champion. So on SmackDown, we found out that John Cena is back. Cena is back, and he will be challenging for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship at No Mercy against AJ Styles and Dean Ambrose in a triple threat match, which I'm a big fan of. I think it is time to turn Dean Ambrose heel. Uh, definitely time to turn Ambrose heel. The guy is good. He's a very good wrestler. I thought it was interesting they incorporated the comments from Stone Cold by John Cena on SmackDown this week when he said, oh, you know, Stone Cold was right. All you do is rest on your laurels. And I think that might have implanted the seat for a heel turn for Dean Ambrose. And at one point, maybe two years ago, I would have been not a fan of that considering how hot he was in late 2014, even at some points in 2015. But it is absolutely the right move right now. I feel like Dean Ambrose needs to be a heel ASAP. Um, I feel like that's that's the, really the role that we've all said you know, time and time again over the years that he would thrive in, that he was made to be in, that he was destined to be in. And uh, hopefully they, they flip the switch sooner rather than later. Uh, maybe not at no mercy. He did plant Cena with a uh, with the Dirty Deeds after their tag team match, after they won their tag team match over Styles and Miz on SmackDown on Tuesday. I wouldn't constitute that as an official heel turn, um, but it was certainly planting the seeds for a future feud between the two, which I'm all on board for. I said that you know, mere weeks, not even, after the WWE draft back in mid-July, I made a list for Bleacher Report of the top seven must-see feuds that we that we should see after the draft. And this was, I think, number one, uh, certainly among the top feuds I've really wanted to see because they worked so well together in the past. They've only had, I think, maybe one or two matches against each other, like a fucking contract on a pole match in late 2014. And then that U.S. Open match at... Uh, uh, the night after WrestleMania 31 on Raw, that uh, really the beginning of the U.S. Open for John Cena, that was a great match too. So they obviously have great chemistry in the ring and also on the mic, so I look forward to that for you once it comes to fruition. So anyway, overall, uh, SmackDown, that was good, so I already kind of gave my thoughts on SmackDown from Tuesday. But uh, I like Backlash a lot. I thought it was a really, really good show. Um, the best pay-per-view of the year, I, I don't know about that, but... And again, there were a lot of concerns that how are they going to be able to fill out a three-hour show with only six matches, but they did so very effectively. They gave each match a ton of time as they should have, which I feel like is a benefit of having six matches on a card and not fucking 13 like we saw at SummerSlam. And I have no complaints, absolutely no complaints. I might have had complaints maybe five, six years ago, but at this point, (laughs) I have no complaints about the show ending early just because... You know, I know people pay for three hours of wrestling, but then you complain about three hours of Raw every single week. So just take what you can get. Just, you know, just take it. Accept it. It was really good. Uh, The end of the show, maybe like 
10.40 as opposed to 11. It's their network. They do whatever the fuck they want. And I'm glad they did end it early just because it gave me more time to write my review and watch back AJ Styles winning another five times and whatever. So I'm all on board for them ending pay-per-views early. Now, if they're starting to end shows an hour early, that would be a problem. But this was only like 20, 25 minutes. It is a big chunk of time in comparison to most pay-per-views that end around 11. But I honestly have no complaints. So again, overall, really good show. Looking forward to No Mercy next month, which already has a few matches confirmed. We have Cena, Ambrose, and Styles in what should be a great triple threat match for the WWE World Championship. We already have confirmed also Becky Lynch versus Alexa Bliss for the NX for the NXT for the SmackDown Women's Championship, which should also be really, really good. And other matches I, I'm sure we will see include uh, I'm sure we'll see, you know, Orton and Wyatt finally. I'm sure we'll see Heath Slater and Rhino versus some team. We'll see American Alpha versus the Usos, Carmella versus Nikki Bella. Uh, probably Miz and Ziggler again, unfortunately, but uh, a lot of matches. It looks like it's going to be more than six matches come, you know, come next uh, pay-per-view, no mercy. So I look forward to it. So we get to Raw on Monday. How much time we got left here? Well, So we got about 20 minutes left. That's not too bad. Uh, that's probably just enough time. I do want to... You know, talk a little bit about Raw and then get into the Cruiserweight Classic from last night just because I feel like that's really what I want to talk about. I already kind of talked about SmackDown. I'll breeze through NXT. Uh, But for Raw on Monday, not as bad of a show as last week, but still not good. It did an awful rating, one of the worst ratings, the worst rating in at least 20 years, I think, a 1.88, which is literally SmackDown numbers. (laughs) SmackDown and Raw were almost head-to-head in ratings this week, which is hilarious. Uh, which you never thought would be the case many years ago, but they're just getting crucified in the ratings right now, thanks to football. So we all knew that was going to happen. Anyway, so we had Raw on Monday. I'll quickly go through the results and my thoughts on each thing. Uh, Sasha Banks beating Bailey and Dana Brooke in a triple threat number one contenders match for the Raw Women's Championship, which they're now calling it as opposed to the WWE Women's Championship, now that we have Raw and SmackDown Women's titles, to uh, to earn the right to face Charlotte for the belt at Clash of Champions on the 20-fucking- 25th. I forgot the day of the month or whatever the pay-per-view is going to be on. But anyway, really good match. I'm glad it wasn't Banks and Bailey straight up. That would have been stupid. Uh, Dana Brooke is not great, but she was limited here, which was good. They kept most of the in-ring work to Bailey and Sasha. So good stuff. The controversy coming out of this contest was Bailey and Sasha, both of their shoulders were on the mat here. Uh, so you would think that it would be a draw, but that wasn't the case, I guess, because, uh, you know, Sasha won. So, I had a lot of people ask me, even RG asked yesterday via text that, uh, what was the deal? Was was her, were her shoulders down? Or I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, they were, so they didn't really acknowledge it. They completely ignored it in typical WWE fashion. So anyway, I have no idea what the deal is there. Maybe just to protect Bailey, she could say, I still earn a shot. I beat the champion a week ago. I don't really know. But anyway, really good match though. I, I will say that much. Bo Dallas beating Brandon Scott in another enhancement match. Um, not really all that good of a match. Uh, not, not that it wasn't good, but it was just a typical squash. I don't know if I can get on, I said this last week, but I just don't know if I can get on board with another Bo Dallas push, or at least an aggressive Bo Dallas. It's something new, so I appreciate that, but I feel like they really missed their chance to push this guy when he first came up two years ago, and it's been all downhill since then. So, I mean, I'll, I'll hold out hope. I'll see where it leads, but so far, I'm just not convinced. After that, a really good segment in the highlight reel between Chris Jericho and Sami Zayn. And we've all been saying since basically the draft, Sami Zayn, or Battleground really, because I know he had the whole feud with uh, Kevin Owens going on at, you know, going into Battleground, that Sami Zayn could be a huge beneficiary of the WWE draft. Uh, yeah, the, you know, the brand split, whatever. 
but he's really been directionless, you know, ever since the whole feud with Kevin Owens wrapped up, he's been having matches with random people, like, one week he's facing Seth Rollins, the next week he's facing Jinder Mahal, the next week he's facing Kevin Owens, so he's been going back and forth for weeks now, they really have no idea how to utilize this guy, uh, so anyway, I thought the segment was good, though, that being said, what I'm trying to get out of here is that I love the idea of a potential program with Jericho and Sami Zayn. They work really well together. They have great chemistry on the mic. They've had multiple matches in 2016, all of which being really good. They've traded victories in the past on Raw, SmackDown, whatever. So, and a, and a great use of Chris Jericho, who has been doing the best work of his career right now, literally. I mean, I know the 08 feud with Michaels was amazing, but really, when I think best overall runs, because Jericho's run that year, it went for about three years. It went from late 07 to late 2010, and other than the, you know, he had a lot of good stuff, I mean, he did Jarrah show and all that other kind of stuff, but honestly, I think he has been doing the, this is, might be my favorite run of Chris Jericho's ever, really, um, since he came back in January, did this stuff with AJ, Dean Ambrose, Enzo and Cass, the highlight reel with Orton and Battleground, going for Money in the Bank, and now this stuff with Sami Zayn, I am all on board for a program between these two, a little bit late, I'm um, going into Clash of Champions. We have, I think, one more show left before the pay-per-view. So we have the go-home show on Monday. We'll be doing predictions next Thursday. So anyway, um, I do like the idea of a Sami Zayn-Jericho feud. Uh, like I said, a little bit late, but they can always extend it until Hell in the Cell if they want, which I will be at uh, with, with RJ, so I can't wait to be in attendance for that event. Uh, and I'll talk more about... I might as well mention that. They also said... I also read today... I know this is completely off track, but I need to get this out there. I read today via the Wrestling Observer Newsletter that they might be considering WWE doing a takeover special in either uh, the theater in Madison Square Garden or in Boston, which would be fucking amazing. So I really hope that's the case. I've already been to a take... I've been to two. I was at Brooklyn 1 and Brooklyn 2. So I would love to go to one that's a lot more convenient for me to get to at some point in the near future. Uh, so anyway, getting back to the segment, I thought it was great. Jericho ends the segment by laying out Sami Zayn by hitting him over the head with his own phone, something I thought I would never see, before laying him out with a code breaker. So we do have that match official for Clash of Champions. After that, we had Cesaro and Sheamus in match five of their best of seven series, another good match. Cesaro wins, Sheamus still leads the series 3-2, to two, so obviously you can see that where this is going, Cesaro evens the score on Monday's Raw, setting up the seventh and final match of Clash of Champions. Nia Jax versus Alicia Fox went to a no contest after Alicia Fox decimated, got decimated at the hands of Nia Jax. Uh, really just destroyed. And Nia Jax, this was the absolute best that she has looked since coming to Monday Night Raw. So that's I thought was really, really good. Uh, the way they built towards it last week via the backstage segment, following it up with this segment, I thought was really good. So they'll probably build to a match between the two at Clash of Champions, which I think is good. Uh, after that, we had the Club versus New Day. So, this was a bit weird. So, it was confirmed even prior to this segment starting that Club and New Day was already official for Clash of Champions. For what reason? No idea. Club has done nothing literally but lose ever since they they, they won, quote-unquote, at SummerSlam. Maybe the fact they won that match via DQ was their reasoning for getting another title. I'm not really sure because they lost on Raw the next night. They lost to the New Day eight days later in a six-person tag team match. They had that fucking terrible, terrible, terrible all-day segment. They lost in another match just recently. Like, I, I don't know what they're doing with these guys. They're quickly ruining the club for me. Um, so anyway, the match was already announced for the pay-per-view before any of this took place. They had New Day run down the segment from last week, which must have been a shoot because that segment was awful. 
They sounded off on how bad it was. Club comes down. We had the club versus Xavier and Kofi in a SummerSlam rematch. And I guess at Clash, it's going to be Kofi and Big E. So anyway, we're going to have that those you know that combination of New Day facing off for the belts at the pay-per-view. But this was a non-title match. And Club won, which I think is good, as they should have. But why not have them win here and then announce the title match at the pay-per-view? Wouldn't it make sense to have them beat the champions first? I mean, they technically did it at SummerSlam, I realize that. But they've done nothing but lose in the weeks since then. So I feel like it would have made more sense just to do, you know, fucking, uh, just to do fucking, uh, you know, th- this match right here. Just just, just to have them beat New Day in this match, and then that's what earns them another shot of the belts at Clash of Ch- This whole feud is fucked. This whole feud is just beyond fucked. I don't care anymore. I really want Club to win, but, and I like New Day, but it's just at this point, they're not really giving anything for me. Not giving me anything to really sink my teeth into. It's just There's nothing to this feud right now other than crappy comedy I just don't care. So after that, another riveting match between Jinder Mahal and Jack Swagger for what felt like the millionth time after I've seen it a thousand times on Superstars, the main event. Jinder Mahal won this time, however, um, cutting a promo how he, he sounded like it, it sounded like it was a babyface promo, but he's a heel. I don't fucking know. People just don't like him because the whole Muhammad Hassan thing. And I feel like t- WWE will never get a Middle Eastern talent and then push him as a babyface. And Kali's a different story, but... It's just so stupid and racist. It's sad, really, in 2016. Anyway, this was what it was. Junior Mahal won. Jack Swagger was confronted by Tom Phillips afterwards, which, oh, I forgot to mention my SmackDown review. So Swagger lost here in the matter of a minute. He was confronted by Tom Phillips afterwards, who asked him, oh, you know, what's next for Jack Swagger? I hear your contract's expiring. So Jack Swagger signed, what, a a 46, 47-day contract when he got signed to Raw? I don't know how these contracts work, but maybe they realized that he wasn't he only signed a, a two-month contract just because, I don't know, they realized that he wasn't worth the money they were paying him. I'm not exactly sure in storyline. You, you know, uh, Tom Phillips said, oh, it's a pretty well-known fact that your contract's coming to an end, which is the exact opposite. No one knew in storyline that Swagger's contract was coming to an end. So anyway, he loses here. He showed up on SmackDown the following night, confronting Baron Corbin, uh, you know, having him flee from the ring. So Jack Swagger's on SmackDown now. Good for him, but really, same thing with Dolph Ziggler, even worse because Swagger has been in purgatory, Superstars purgatory for fucking almost five years, really. I know they tried to re-push him in 2014, 2013. It's like, no one fucking cares anymore. Just move on. So beyond that, we had Epico versus Enzo Amore. Uh, throwaway match. Epico wins. They're just not doing Enzo and Cass any favors. They're so hot as a tag team. They're going to make people not... They're, it's it's going to have the opposite effect. Having them beat Enzo and Cass, whether it be in tag team action or singles action or whatever will not make people care about the Shining Stars. If anything, it'll make people care less about Enzo and Cass. So hopefully they don't run this program into the ground to the point where Enzo and Cass are losing all the time. If they were losing, that's one thing. The fact that they're losing to two losers than Shining Stars is not doing anyone any favors whatsoever. And then we get to the main event. Kevin Owens, the WWE Universal Champion, taking on Roman Reigns in a really, really good match. They got great time. Uh, Seth Rollins came down at one point to attack Kevin Owens. He was sent to the back by Mick Foley, and uh, he'll probably face the consequences you know, this week on Raw. I'm not sure next week on Raw. The match continued, though. Uh, Mick Foley ordered the match to continue until a winner was crowned. So before Roman Reigns could score the victory and make it a triple threat match at Clash of Champions, out came Rusev, who we have not seen on Raw in about three weeks at this point. He was not on Raw for the past two weeks after getting married and the honeymoon, whatever. So he came back this week, attacked Roman Reigns, and it looks like Roman Reigns and Rusev is resuming. That rivalry is resuming through Clash of Champions. 
So again, uh, really good main event overall. Not a great show. They, were, they had their own moments. You know, I thought the opening was really good. The highlight reel was really good. Cesaro and Sheamus was really good. The third hour always drags. The third hour almost always sucks with the exception of the main event. But uh, once again, two thumbs up for the Kevin Owens show. Uh, excuse me, Monday Night Raw on Monday. Just a really good show. Uh, not, not a really good show. A uh, really good main event with an average show to boot. So we have Clash of Champions coming up next Sunday. So before we close out the episode here, we got about 10 minutes left. Perfect, perfect amount of time here to talk about the Cruiserweight Classic from Wednesday night, which I can just absolutely not wait for the second installment. This show was so fucking good. And if we have time, I'll run through, I'll, I'll do a quick review of NXT on Wednesday. But I really want to talk about, you know, when I have the time to talk about the Cruiserweight Classic that immediately followed NXT on Wednesday night. This whole show, the presentation, the matches, everything about it, the commentary has just been so fucking good. And uh, I'm really sad to see it go, but they really went off with a bang on Wednesday. The first semifinal match of the night saw Grand Metallic beating Zack Sabre Jr. clean. So the first shocking upset of the night, which... I probably should have seen this coming as well as Kota Ibushi losing. I didn't see Kota Ibushi tapping out. That was a big thing, um, even more so than the fact that he lost. But I probably should have seen that coming just because I know I predicted last week here in the show, and I've said since day one that it's coming down to Ibushi and Sabre in the finals. But then I realized that, you know what? They're probably not going to put two people in the finals that aren't contracted to the company. And as of right now, Sabre's not coming to WWE. Uh, for what reason, I don't know. I don't know if they didn't offer him a contract or if he doesn't want to go. Kota Ayabushi, I know, is offered a contract. He does not want to come to WWE right now. At some point, he will, apparently. He wants to accomplish other things over in Japan first, so good for him. Hopefully, we see him back at some point because the guy's fucking phenomenal. But anyway, uh, Grand Metallic goes over to advance to the finals. Our second semifinal match of the night saw TJ Perkins beating Kota Ayabushi. And again, excellent match. I was really... I, I was worried that this match would suffer from having to follow up, you know, Grand Metallic and Zack Sabre Jr. I really should not have worried at all because these guys delivered an even better bout. They worked wonderfully together. TJ Perkins pulling at all his stops. Ibushi too. Both guys are just so good. So, so good. Uh, Perkins wins to advance to the finals as well. We had a special attraction match up next with Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, Cedric Alexander, and Norm Dar in a tag team affair. Really, really fun match. Quick pace. The crowd was into it. They loved it. Gargano and Ciampa, DIY, uh, do it yourself. That, that tag team name, cool name. Uh, they're just a tremendous tag team. Got to meet him last Friday at Chaotic Wrestling, which was really cool. I forgot to mention that. I got to meet Austin Aries. I got to meet Gargano Ciampa. And I got to meet Rob Van Dam and Cody Rhodes. So a really eventful night, evening, rather, night, whatever, at uh, Chaotic Wrestling last Friday. I forgot to mention that. So, uh, anyway, really, really good match here uh, with Gargano Ciampa winning. And all four guys, I believe, including Norm Dar, will be a part of the Cruiserweight division on Raw starting Monday. So, can't wait for that. And then the main event came around. TJ Perkins defeating Gramatalic via submission after working over the knee to become not only the winner of the Cruiserweight Classic, but the inaugural WWE Cruiserweight Champion, which Triple H surprised us all with, including the competitors. I don't know if they knew that it was going to happen. It would be even cooler if they knew that Triple H wasn't coming out. But anyway, so he came out with a with a burlap sack and revealing that the winner of this match would not only earn a medal and a trophy, not the you know, not only the prestigious trophy, but the new Cruiserweight Championship as well, which they will take to Raw starting Monday. I believe, obviously, like I said, Metallic has been signed, so I believe he will be a part of the division anyway, despite not winning here. But 
The biggest difference is that TJ Perkins is the new Cruiserweight Champion and Grand Metallic is not. So again, really, really good match. It's hard to really put any effort or really put any detail in my description of these matches on this show just because they were all fucking phenomenal. Constant counters in the best way possible. I'm not saying that as an insult. Constant counters, awesome psychology, just exciting, exhilarating in-ring action, amazing energy. Just really loved everything about these four matches, including the main event. Really happy to see TJ Perkins go over. I really had a, my eye on him from the beginning. I did not predict him to win. Like I said, Kota Ibushi was my pick from the get-go. Um, but there were a lot of people in this tournament I was excited to see go through, and I'm really glad it was TJ Perkins, the former Manic from TNA, if you can believe that. How stupid of a gimmick suicide was and that whole shit. Then they made it Manic, and they just wouldn't let him be TJ Perkins, which they should have done from the get-go. And I, after he won last night, I went on like online to search like post- TNA interviews and his, you know, desire to be in NXT, which he is even beyond NXT now. He's now in the main roster as the new Cruiserweight Champion, which is awesome. But yeah, so I think it's great because he's really been well-deserving. He talked about how he was homeless growing up, so a really good story to boot. And it just, it blows my mind, dude. It blows my mind that TNA wasted this guy. They had an opportunity to make a star out of this guy when they had the chance, and they fucking blew it. They blew it! I remember, it was almost three years ago, they had Bound for Glory, and I think he was at Bound for Glory, I don't really remember, I just I just remember not caring about this guy at all, I'm pretty sure he was not at Bound for Glory, I might be mistaken that year, in 2013 we're talking about here, and he was off TV for months, people were speculating, I, I'm pretty sure I sent out a tweet, how is the guy even still with the company, not because I wanted to see him fired, but it's like, how can you justify keeping him around by not doing anything with him? Bigger question, why aren't you doing anything with him? He is so good. So good. And they brought him back for a cup of coffee. They did the whole revolution thing with James Storm, which is a complete bust. Mahabalashir sucked. Storm left. He's back now. And Abyss was in there. It was just a massive flop. They got nobody over. Uh, Sonata, who was there for a while, also left. TJ Perkins was there. Quit the company. So just not good at all. Just not good. So a total waste of his talent over there, which has been... Really, the recurring story that you see people, former faces of TNA, not like, oh, they went to TNA and then they came back. You know, guys like, you know, Kurt Angle, who I'm sure will be back at some point. People like the Dudleys, people like, you know, fucking, I don't know, uh, you know, Rob Van Dam, all these other people that went to TNA before ultimately coming back. A lot of people came from TNA first, including TJ Perkins, and now WWE, NXT, whatever, is just utilizing these guys a lot better than anyone ever thought they would. Uh, and that TNA would, and WWE is finally seeing the stardom, seeing that star power in TJ Perkins, what he's capable of in the ring, he's got a good look, amazing in-ring athlete, really excited to see him on Raw starting Monday, so overall, I love the Cruiserweight Classic, like I said, probably the best WWE produced event of 2016 so far, I will argue with anyone all day, I was at TakeOver Brooklyn too, so I might say that might have been the best show of the year, but if that was, this one gave it a run for its money, that's how good the show was, so a top-notch stuff, really great stuff from everyone involved for back-to-back-to-back-to-back awesome matches. Check it out at your leisure. And that was really it. NXT on Wednesday was an all-right show. Samoa Joe's attack on Shinsuke was probably the best thing in the entire show. You had Liv Morgan beating Rachel Fazio, the former Rachel Ellering, but now that we have Paul Ellering in NXT, it's probably not too smart to call her, you know, acknowledge that, that, that she's his daughter just because he's a heel right now and she's a babyface apparently. Hideo Tommy beating Drew Gallick. Drew Galak, whatever. I think he might be signed. I'm not sure, but still a very fun match. Authors of Pain squashing Chris Payne and Doug Sessa. In the main event, Bobby Roode beating No Way Jose in a good match, too. 
And I forgot to mention this too. It looks like they're doing Samoa Joe Nakamura on TV before then. They didn't advertise it for next week or the next few weeks. But based off what Joe said, that as soon as I'm healed from my injuries, I'm going after that title. And Joe has been on fire ever since he showed up in NXT. But really, just even more, even more so recently. I feel like even in chase mode, he's better than he was as champion. And his vicious attack on Shinsuke Nakamura, the most vulnerable we've ever seen Nakamura in NXT. So anyway, um, it sounded like from what he said, they're doing the rematch on TV before TakeOver. Now, TakeOver's not until the weekend of Survivor Series, which is late November. So we have well over two months until then. They should not wait until that point. Samoa Joe should be on the main roster right now. On SmackDown, preferably, I feel like he could be a top heel on that show. But yeah, so hopefully we see Samoa Joe on the main roster before the end of 2016. But they do the Nakamura-Joe match in NXT on an episode of NXT TV in the next month or so. And then we get Nakamura-Bobby Roode. Canada's own Bobby Roode, the glorious one at TakeOver Toronto in November. So that's it, guys. That is everything that is in the world that has happened in the world of wrestling in the past week. What a week it's been. Like I said, just been incredible from start to finish. Uh, just, I, I love wrestling. That was really when the week ended. That's all I was saying to myself after Raw, Backlash, SmackDown, especially the Cruiserweight Classic. I love wrestling and I love talking about it too every single Thursday. Enjoy the segue there. I enjoy talking about it every single Thursday right here on WrestleRant Radio only on nextairwrestling.net. So on that note, guys, uh, we will be back next Thursday with an all new episode to do Clash of Champions predictions. I think WWEC Radio, which I talked about a little bit last week, Tom and I are going to be working out uh, the format of the show, all this other kind of stuff tomorrow, and the show will be back up and running, I think, right here on the website uh, next Friday. So I look forward to talking about that and doing you know, a Clash of Champions preview and all this other stuff, so I uh, look forward to doing that. Um, but as always, next week we will be covering, in addition to Clash of Champions predictions, Raw, SmackDown, NXT... Maybe even some Lucha Underground that the Cruiserweight Classic is over with. I can go back to probably reviewing Lucha Underground here in the show. Uh, So anyway, I look forward to talking all about that in the future. But in the meantime, and in between time, folks, as always, you can find me on the Twitter machine at WrestleRant on Facebook at facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews on YouTube as well at youtube.com backslash c backslash graham.gsm.matthews. And as I mentioned earlier, new episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday right here on nextairwrestling.net. So with all that being said, folks, have an amazing rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I'll catch you folks down the road. Bye.